You're listening to a teaching series by Cross Culture Church of Christ. If you'd like any more information about our church, head to crossculture.net.au. Feel free to share this podcast with others, but please don't alter the content in any way. We hope you enjoy it. Our Bible reading today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 3. This is the Word of God. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let's Vision Sunday. And uh, I reckon our church has got the best vision ever uh, because it's focused on the best person ever. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if you know our vision, maybe you don't, maybe this is your first time here, Uh, it's to know Christ. So we want everybody uh, to know the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, to grow in him, uh, help each other to become more like him and to proclaim him. Uh, That's the best thing we can do for others, isn't it? Uh, To tell them about Jesus. Uh, So we've had this um, vision for quite a while. This is our strategy plan. If you've got a pair of binoculars, you might be able to read it. Um, (laughs) Basically, uh, our strategy working group last year uh, came up with eight initiatives that will help us over the next five years to move towards helping more people to know Christ, to grow in him and to proclaim him. Uh, So growing the culture of discipleship, Uh, make the church more inviting and welcoming uh, and accessible to others, reaching our city, further internationalise cross-culture and facilitate the transitions between uh, particularly our children, youth and cultivate and young adult ministries um, and resourcing our children and youth ministries. We've got a wave of kids coming through, uh, the younger Uh, end of Sunday school, refining our system to support young families and leverage volunteer coordination functions. So some of those things are underway already. Various ministries who are uh, more involved with different parts of that are honing the goals and targets that we need to set uh, to achieve these things in the next five years. Uh, Number two on that list is to work on welcoming, our welcoming to make it the best it possibly can be. So this is what we want to work on, particularly in 2020. Uh, Last week, Victoria and Lionel uh, had a meeting uh, to uh, begin working on how we can make some of the structural changes that we need to make to make our welcoming uh, better, and uh, including things like how newcomers can find their way around here, uh, getting better signage, uh, getting better um, integration when, when people do connect with us and so on. Uh, So they're going to be working on those kind of structural things and getting a team together. Um, But what I want to focus on today is what things that we can all do uh, so that people can feel really welcome here and we can really connect with them. Uh, We're in the wonderful position uh, where God sends many people to us each week. Uh, This is one of the best locations in Australia for a church. Let me tell you, I've worked in other churches where you have to work really hard to get people to come. But people come in our doors, uh, not just to Sunday services, but to uh, our open chapel outreach, to Alpha, 
to STEP, uh, our student ministry. Uh, Andrew, the ministry leader for STEP, was telling me that last night we had 47 newcomers coming to our student welcome night. And uh, he was so thrilled uh, to see people being really well welcomed by the existing students. Uh, English Corner, last year we had more than a 1,000 different people come to our conversational English classes. Uh, and so what I'm saying is that if, if, if we connect with the people that God sends to us uh, in a meaningful way, we will be able to help them to know Christ if they don't already, uh, help them to grow in Jesus and help them to become people who proclaim him uh, to others. Uh, so we have the incredible privilege of meeting and welcoming uh, these people who come to us. So let's look at these three verses uh, in Hebrews to see how God has given us uh, guidance and help so that we can do it. This is the business end of the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, so far, the letter has been given, giving all the reasons why we shouldn't give up uh, trusting in Jesus. And uh, chapter, chapter 12, just before the three verses we're going to look at, uh, ends with this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So he ends the first 12 chapters by saying, let's respond to this great God who sent Jesus to die for us and so on. Let's respond to him with acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Then chapter 13 gets into the practical implications of this. What does this kind of worship look like uh, that is acceptable to God? And it's really interesting what he comes up with. And there are three points in your outline. Keep on loving, the first one from verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? What was his answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. This is bottom line basic stuff, isn't it? The two great obligations of any human being is to love God and to love their neighbour as much as they love themselves. So if you want a performance indicator uh, for the Christian life, uh, how much do you love God? And the other one is how much do you love your Christian brother and sister? Do you love them more than you did uh, 12 months ago? Am I more loving of my Christian brothers and sisters than I was 12 months ago? Because that's what God wants of us. And it's not the kind of thing you can fake, is it? Uh, Janet and I were once involved in a massive simulation game uh, which tried to pack the whole of uh, the process of becoming a missionary, preparing to be a missionary, becoming a missionary, transitioning to the field and beginning to connect with people on the field. They packed that into six hours. Uh, it's a process that normally takes about six years in real life. It's a thing called the journey. Some of you may have done it. Uh, the participants, uh, after going through the preparation uh, phase, the training and the screening, uh, they finally got to the mission field. And in this simulation game, they had set up a village uh, and it had uh, 
people from another cultural background, another language, who only spoke their language, didn't speak any English, uh, at least not to us. And uh, the people, uh, the participants had other tasks to do as well as relating to these people. Uh, there were other tasks that they were meant to achieve. It was really fascinating uh, to see the reactions of these participants. Janet and I had just finished our first term in Pakistan as missionaries and we were really surprised to see we could recognise all the emotions and frustrations that we'd been through in the last three years we could, and seen in ourselves and also seen in others. Uh, we could see happening to these people in this simulation game. But the really revealing thing was in the debriefing afterwards, uh, when they asked the people who were in the village uh, what they had experienced, and one guy said, I did not expect to experience this. But he said, I, I could tell who really wanted to relate to me, who loved me and wanted to get to know me, and who was just there for the sake of it, who was just going through the motions. He, he said, I was shocked to myself that I could feel that. Uh, you can't fake love. And this is why the writer here says, keep on doing it. You need to do it genuinely. Um, people know when they come into a church uh, if it's a loving and a safe place to be. And thankfully, many people have found our church uh, to be like this. So this is point one on God's agenda for what good worship looks like. Let brotherly love continue. It's a command, an active one, keep on doing it. Um, it's a particular kind of love too. In the New Testament, there are four kinds of love. Uh, this is brotherly love, Philadelphia. Uh, note here, it's not erotic love. Uh, if your purpose in welcoming and being friendly with other people is, is to find a, a mate for life, let me encourage you not to use that as a motive uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, God may provide someone along the way, but let your motive be brotherly love, sibling love, the kind of love that siblings have between members of the same family, have between one another. And that should be easy for us, isn't it? As Christians, we're all part of Christ's family and uh, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, it doesn't mean, of course, there won't be hiccups in our relationships, uh, that there won't be struggles, but it does mean that love is the driver. Uh, people often say, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if all the people of the world would get on like one big family? Uh, somebody else said, yeah, that's the trouble they do. <laughs> Um, you know, things happen in families, don't they? People hurt one another, hopefully not intentionally. Uh, but what we're told to do here is keep on loving one another. Keep on doing it. Now, God knows, of course, that this isn't our natural bent, doesn't he? That's why he has to say it. Uh, God knows, of course, that some brothers and sisters are really hard work. How do I know that? because I'm one of them. Um, you know, just ask Janet or some of the other pastors. There are times when I'm hard to get on with. I'm one of those, you know, hard work Christians. But God knows that. He knows that we go through phases like that. And he knows that actually, this way he says this, keep on loving one another. Next, he turns to a particular group of people uh, who need our love 
uh, in a particular way. Strangers, uh, do not neglect to show hospitality uh, to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I don't know if you've seen that movie, the My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Anybody seen it? Yeah. It's quite a fun movie, isn't it? It's the Bortokoulos family. And uh, it's a Greek family, of course. And the daughter, Tula, who's uh, got the wedding dress on there, uh, she's getting sort of 30s and not married yet. And, of course, everybody's worried about it. And then she falls in love with a guy who isn't Greek. And the dad is shattered. Uh, here's a picture of the dad here being shattered. And, uh, <clears throat> and he keeps saying, but Tula, he's a Xeno, he's Xeno. <laughs> and what does Xeno mean? <laughs> it means he's other. He's from, not from our tribe. He's other. Tula, why can't you marry a nice Greek boy? And he keeps saying it over and over again that this guy is the other. Of course, that Greek word xeno has entered our language, hasn't it? We talk about xenophobia. What is it? It's fear of the other. And uh, the word that's used here is its opposite. It's uh, xenophilia, to love the other. And God wants us not to be xenophobics but to be xenophiliacs. People who love the other, people who are not of our tribe, uh, people who are strangers to us. Uh, the word hospitality, show hospitality, is literally means to love strangers, to love people who are different from us. Again, the fact that God has to say this means that he's well aware that you and I naturally gravitate to people that are like us, don't we? It's so much easier, isn't it? If we've got a common language, a common culture, you know, we can talk about the kind of computer games we like or we can talk about our kids or our grandkids or our uni or whatever it is, our values. Uh, but what he's talking about here is loving people who don't share those things with us. When we think hospitality, I think, when we hear that word hospitality, we usually think of having someone to our home, don't we? And that's a great thing to do uh, and we ought to do it. Um, but for many of us living at a distance, it's, it, it is a bit difficult. If I invite someone for dinner and they have to drive 45 minutes out to where I live, uh, that's not such an easy thing for them, is it? But we're so fortunate in our church family that we actually, it's a little bit like a home, isn't it? We have, we have meals together every Sunday. If you hang around, we can have a tea and a coffee together. Uh, we can welcome people to our church family home and sit down and have a meal together or maybe take them out somewhere and say, hey, wouldn't you like to join us for lunch uh, out somewhere else? Now, behind all this, of course, is that how we view church I think often we think of church as something or someone else. Uh, you know, I get comments like, you know, the church should have a better kids program or the, the church should do more for the youth, the church should do this, the church should do that, the church should, you know, get more, what do you call them, hand sanitizers. Um, 
Who is the church? It's not somebody else, it's us, isn't it? And this is our family home as a church family. And, and so when people come into our church family home, we need to make them feel at home, welcome them like we would if they came to our own home. Um, you know, just keep things a bit tidy like we try to do um, and so on. Uh, we try to keep the church tidy physically, but I think it's a lot more involved in keeping your church family home tidier than just putting stuff away and throwing the rubbish out, isn't there? Uh, there's the business of relationships, you know, that they're not nasty nasties between us that people sense when they come in, um, strained relationships, hostility. Uh, let's keep our family home nice and safe and comfortable. Make it as welcoming as possible. I want to give some practical uh, things here. Just five things I think that will help us to be able to do this better. Firstly, I think we need to free ourselves up to be able to interact with newcomers and visitors. It's so easy to come to church thinking, I've got to catch up with this one, I've got to catch up with that one, I've got to grab so-and-so and have a meeting with them after church. And all of a sudden you've got no time or space to connect with people that God has sent for us to connect with. So how do you sort that one out? Well, if you need to chat to somebody on Sunday or, or about anything, why don't you give them a phone call during the week and say, and arrange whatever you need to arrange with them. Uh, if you want a meeting with four or five people, get on Zoom or Skype or whatever and have a, have a virtual meeting and sort it out uh, so we can free ourselves up to love the other, love those visitors and newcomers that come. Secondly, deliberately look around uh, for people to welcome. Uh, often uh, people who are new, uh, they'll hang around for a few minutes after the service uh, and if nobody interacts with them, what do they do? They go. And the experts tell us that people make up their mind uh, in the 15 minutes after the service whether or not they're ever going to come back. So we haven't got much time to connect with newcomers. We need to look around and say, oh, those people are standing there on their own and they've been standing on their own for 10 minutes. You need to think, boy, they are really determined <laughs> to connect with somebody. Let me be that person. Okay, or you go out into Chapel Hall rather than making a beeline for the table with all your friends on it, have a look around. Say, oh, oh there's somebody standing on their own. Would you like to join us for lunch or, or, or for a cup of tea? Um, and so start a conversation. This is quite awkward, I think. Uh, you know, I fall into lots of traps with this. You know, I'll say to somebody, oh, I haven't seen you here before. Are you a newcomer? And they say, yeah, I've been coming here for 10 years, you know. Um, <laughs> so I think we need a, a way of, of initiating conversation without making it really, really awkward and falling into that type of silly error. Um, so you could go something like this, say, uh, hi, my name's Sam, have we, have we met before? Uh, and then give them space to say, oh, no, no, we haven't actually. This is my first Sunday here. Or conversely, yeah, I've been coming for 10 years. It's taking a long time to connect with me, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> and then maybe we could go on and say, well, you know, what brought you into church today? Um, and then say, how did you find it? And... Uh, have that kind of a conversation and if it's appropriate, uh, exchange phone numbers with them if, they're, if, the, if they would like that. And then let me encourage you to give them a call during the week 
And so I was thinking about you. We met on Sunday and I just thought I'd ring up and see how your week's gone. You know, you said you were applying for a job on Monday. How did it go? Or whatever it is. And just connect with them. Now, the research tells us uh, that if somebody in the congregation gives somebody a phone call, that is way more effective than them getting a phone call from the pastor. That's interesting, isn't it? All the research tells us that 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 is, that is way more effective than someone from the office sending them an email or whatever. We do those things, but what is most effective is if you connected with somebody on Sunday and you give them a ring on Tuesday and say, how's your week going? Uh, that is very effective. I've always already talked about eating together. Uh, so ask people to join you for lunch. If you sat next to newcomers this morning, somebody who's here for the first time, say, hey, look, you can have a free lunch today on us. I'll take you to the info hub. We'll get the, we'll get the voucher and we'll, I'll, I'll help you to f- find where to get lunch. We'll grab lunch. Let's sit down and have lunch together. Would you like to do that? Um, that I think that is being hospitable, isn't it? That is saying, you're in our family home. Let's have a meal together. Finally, invite them to your life group. Uh, now, It's important that you invite them to your life group Uh, because what you're saying is, I would like you to join our group in the church. Now, for someone like me, our life group is in Croydon. That's about an hour from here. And I don't want to prejudge anybody and say they're not going to go out to Croydon. They may. They might live in Murrabark. They may live in Geelong. In which case they'll say, where's Croydon? And, uh, and yes, then you can say to them, oh, yeah, it's a long way from Geelong. Look, let me take you to the info hub. and We'll look at the map and maybe we can find a life group that will suit you. And while we're going there, I'll tell you how great it is to be in a life group and the things that's helped me. Um, in, so invite them. The, the writer here says, there's, there's some practical ideas, but the writer here says that by loving strangers, people have entertained angels without knowing about it. That's interesting, isn't it? He probably has in mind Abraham back in Genesis 18 who offered hospitality to three strangers. And one of them turned out to be God or Jesus, depending on how you look at it. He brought a message of great blessing uh, to Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And two of those visitors went on in the next chapter to Sodom and Lot, Abraham's nephew, took them in and offered them hospitality and they were the means of Lot and his family's salvation. (laughs) They were blessed by them saying, hey, you've got to get out of here. God's going to destroy this place. And they more or less dragged them out kicking and screaming. And both of those were absolute turning points for Abraham and Lot. Now, what the writer here is saying, this is not going to happen every time, uh, but through connecting with strangers, God is going to bring blessing to you. Uh, God is going to bring messages to you sometimes. And I, I don't know how many times I've talked to someone and they, they, they tell me their testimony or something, they, or they talk about how Jesus has been so pivotal to their life and it's really encouraged me. I think, wow. I thought I was reaching out to them, but actually they've really brought blessing into my life. Friends of ours who were missionaries in a very remote part of Papua New Guinea 
uh, where visitors could only get there by aeroplane and the plane only came twice a week. Uh, so visitors stayed at least three days uh, when they came. Uh, one month, they had 60 visitors uh, visit them on their mission station and, and it meant looking after them, accommodation and food and all the rest of it. And uh, this guy put in his prayer letter for that month. He said, I read a quote, hospitality is making people feel at home when you wish they were. <laughs> and it is a bit like that, isn't it? Really reaching out to people because sometimes it is work. Uh, but God calls on us to do that. If we're to worship God truly, uh, we are to love the other, the stranger. That's what God's looking for. Finally, uh, empathise with their suffering. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Seems like a random instruction, doesn't it? But if you take the flow of this passage, uh, what the writer is saying is empathise with people who are suffering, in this case, imprisoned and mistreated, and probably both in a Roman prison. Remember such people. Why? Because you too are in the body. You are also in the body. Uh, I don't think he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about we, are, we have a body that, that, that experiences pain and suffering. So if they experience pain and suffering, we need to remember uh, we need to put ourselves in their shoes. What would it be like uh, to be in their shoes? What would, it be, what would it be like to suffer like them? How would I feel? How would I cope? I know sometimes my go-to thing with these kinds of things is, well, you know, if, if they hadn't done the crime, they wouldn't be doing the time, you know. Or, uh, you know, if people who are lying on the streets in a, in a stupor, if they didn't take drugs, they wouldn't be like that. You know... If you got out more, you wouldn't be so depressed. You know, we, and all of these statements are actually putting the blame back on the person, isn't it, for their state that they're in. But what the writer here is saying, no, you try and put yourself in their shoes. What would it actually be like to be suffering like that? Now, most people are suffering in some way, aren't they? Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And God brings people like that into our church so that we can help to meet their needs. I'll give you an example of this. It's quite a last year. Somebody I, that I connected with after the service, and I'm not revealing any confidence, this is actually with somebody from outside of Victoria, who the night before had tried to kill himself and came into church he still had the hospital band on his arm. He'd been let out of hospital that morning and he was walking down the street and he thought, oh, I'll go to, here's a church, I'll go to church. I mean, he was absolutely desperate and he came here into church here and, and through the songs and through hearing the word of God, he got a glimmer of hope That's, that maybe, maybe, maybe he could find something that was worth living a reason to go on living. And in God's goodness, I was able to pray with him and encourage him to connect with Christians in his little town where he came from so that he could be encouraged in his hope in Jesus. Now, most of our connections are not as dramatic as that, are they? But 
You can guarantee that if God brings people through our doors to Open Chapel English Corner to our services, that he's bringing them in for a reason because they have a need that needs to be met. Uh, They're suffering in some way. And God wants us to empathise with them and encourage them uh, so that he can do his sovereign work in their hearts to give them hope and a reason to carry on. So friends, let's assume uh, when God brings someone into our church that he's doing it for a reason. He has a purpose in bringing him th- them through our doors. And uh, what we're trying to do as we connect with them is to find out what God is doing in their lives and what God wants to do. And we won't do that unless we connect with them and understand what they're going through. Just to wrap up, even if a quarter of the people who God sends through our doors uh, become part of our church, our church would double in size uh, within 12 months. We have so many people uh, coming through our doors. So let's uh, see what God will do as uh, we keep on loving, as we especially love the stranger, the visitor, and as we lovingly empathise and connect uh, with their suffering and their need. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews says this is what true worship looks like. Uh, so may God help us uh, in this coming year to worship him in this way as we love one another, as we reach out in love uh, to the strangers that he brings amongst us, the visitors, and so glorify Jesus in the process. Uh, let's uh, take a moment to respond in prayer individually. Uh, And then I'll lead us in prayer and then we'll have time for questions. Our Lord and God, we thank you so much for bringing us into your family through the work of Jesus on the cross. We thank you that you have given us so many brothers and sisters in this family. Lord, help us to love one another so that when people do come into our community, They'll be like uh, the early people who said, behold how the Christians love one another. And Lord, please help us to be deliberate and intentional in reaching out to newcomers amongst us. Uh, Lord, help us to be really hospitable even today. And Lord, help us also to empathise and share in their suffering and their needs uh, that you might use us to help uh, fulfil those needs. Lord, we pray for those who, who come amongst us who are losing hope or who are feeling really bad and guilty. Lord, we pray that they might find Jesus in the gospel uh, and, and the freedom from guilt and fear and hopelessness. And Lord, we pray that you would use us in that process for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Thank you, Sam, for the message. We have a few questions. The first one is, I often find myself busy trying to welcome people and be hospitable on my weekends and weekdays. How can I balance both trying to fulfil this vision, which is my conviction as well, at the same time achieve some rest for myself? Take a day off. (laughs) I'm serious. That's what God said. He said, have one day off in seven. And, uh, yeah, Janet and I take every Friday off and we get away and we have a rule that if anyone starts talking about church, uh, we stop each other. <laughs> so I think we, 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 we do need a rest and God has built that into the, into the creation 
So I think um, the, the, the advice I can give is just take a day off and quarantine it from other stuff. Do something different. And don't feel guilty about that. God says do it. It's a command. Enjoy it. Uh, thanks, Sam. Uh, second, if you're an introverted, shy person or currently just not feeling socially capable of interacting with someone else, how do you bring yourself to connect with a stranger or newcomer despite knowing that you should be proactive about it? Yeah, I think this is really, really hard. I, I'm not an introvert, but the introverts I speak with describe to me a, a, how big a hurdle that is for them. So I understand that that takes a lot of emotional energy. On the other hand, I also understand that, you know, if Melbourne Central is burning down and you know that there are a thousand people in the cinemas in there, would you just stand on the street and say, well, I'm an introvert? <laughs> yeah, probably wouldn't, would you? Would you not go in there and say, guys, you've got to get out of here? So I think what we're talking about here is so vital that, that people need to know Jesus and they need to grow up in him and they, they need to hear about him. So I, I think somehow, and I know it takes a lot of energy and a lot of, a lot of hard work for introverts, it's a lot easier for people like me who are less introverted, but I, I, I think uh, we, we just have to do it. Now, you might do it less often. Or you might focus more on people that you know fairly well to uh, share Christ with and share the gospel with. Uh, so I think we just need to balance those things. Mm. Uh, thanks, Sam. And the final question we have time for, if you're a parent with young children, how do you, you do hospitality and how do you encourage your children to be hospitable too? Yeah, I, 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 I was saying in the earlier service that you know, if you invite someone to have lunch with you over there uh, and you've got a young family with kids who are going to throw their food around or whatever, um, you know, you're probably thinking nobody's going to want to eat with our kids, you know. It's like feeding time at the zoo. Um, but I think actually there are people who wouldn't mind having a bit of food smeared on them for the sake of connecting with a family, you know. Maybe international students who are missing their nieces and nephews or the younger siblings. Or maybe a grandma whose family are away somewhere else and who, who would really love it actually. I think if your little family said, hey, why don't you have lunch with us today? Uh, now, that's something fairly simple, I think. I, I think uh, for people with young kids, having people come into their home, it is. It's a big effort. Uh, and I think, but I think again, we have the privilege here of of, of uh, being in a church where we have lunch together. You say, "Why don't you join our family for lunch?" They can always say no, um, but if you don't ask them, they can't say yes. And how do you teach your kids to be hospitable? Oh, uh, by doing it. Uh, I grew up in a home where, actually, one of the reasons I became a missionary was. We had endless missionaries coming through our home. My mum and dad just loved connecting with people who were sharing the gospel around the world. And if, if a missionary was coming through our church, they inevitably were dragged home to our place. 
And, uh, and I heard all their stories and what God was doing in other places really inspired me. And I was a kid, six, eight, ten-year-old in that household. So I think we, we, we show our kids how to be hospitable by doing it. Same with any other, any other thing. So I think in our context here, if you've got your family and you invite other people to sit uh, with your family, your kids are going to see that. Say, hey, that's a good idea. I really like this, auntie. Isn't that nice mum and dad did that? And they store it away. When they become older, they do it themselves. Yeah. Thanks so much, Sam. If you have more questions, please come and speak to Sam at the end of the service. Thanks. Thanks.